So this story completely blew my mind, and it remains one of the biggest unsolved mysteries in New Mexico history. This week marks the 31st anniversary of one of the most disturbing massacres New Mexico has ever seen. As with many of these videos, I got the bulk of this info from a Redditor who did some incredible research finding out everything there is to know about this topic, and nearly everything mentioned here will be cited from that post. So if you'd like to read the original write-up about this video, be sure to head over to Reddit and give the user Skipad2 an upvote and some serious props for finding all the details about this. On February 10th, 1990, a family-owned bowling alley in New Mexico called Las Cruces Bowl was preparing for a very busy Saturday. Stephanie Sinak, the 34-year-old manager, was counting receipts from the night before in the office. She brought her 12-year-old daughter to work with her, Melissa Repass, to work that day. Melissa worked in the bowling alley in the daycare with her 13-year-old friend, Amy Hauser. The 33-year-old cook, Ida Holgan, was working in the kitchen, and Melissa's grandfather, Ron, actually owned the bowling alley, and all of the workers were a pretty tight-knit group. Everybody considered themselves as family. Everything was going well, and they were set to open at 9 a.m. Well, at 8.20 a.m., the young girls Melissa and Amy left the office to get a snack from the vending machine. As they made their way over, they saw two men standing in one of the entryways of the bowling alley, and they had guns. One of the men ushered the girls into the office at gunpoint. The other split from him and did the same thing with Ida. Stephanie had no idea what was going on until the men brought the three into the office. At this very moment, the 26-year-old bowling alley mechanic, Steve Tehran, entered the bowling alley with his two-year-old daughter, Valerie, and his six-year-old stepdaughter, Paula. On this fateful day, he was unable to find babysitters for the girls, so he just decided to bring them to the bowling alley with him and that they would just hang out in the daycare for the day. When they encountered the scene in the office, the gunman and Steve fought, but they quickly subdued him and all were forced to the ground. Everyone was huddled on the floor with their heads down as the gunman rummaged through the safe and collected somewhere between $4,000 and $5,000. At this point, everybody was praying that they had what they wanted wanted and that they would just leave, but as the gunman looked down upon the four children and the three adults, they started shooting. Everyone there that day was shot execution style, and the gunman set fire to the office and didn't look back. Though by some miracle, 12-year-old Melissa was still conscious and managed to call 911. Melissa was just a child at the time and managed to call 911 and even relay details of the crime after being shot five times. Emergency services arrived at the scene and in only minutes, but Steve Tehran, his six-year-old stepdaughter, and the 13-year-old daycare worker, Amy, were all pronounced dead at the scene. The survivors were rushed to the hospital, but two-year-old Valerie passed away from her injuries just a short while after she got there. Stephanie, Melissa, and Ida were the only survivors that day. Immediately after this, police set up roadblocks all over the city, but that didn't really lead them anywhere. Authorities collected fingerprints and shell casings, but aside from that, there really wasn't much to be found because the crime scene had been completely contaminated both by rescue workers and by the fire. The scene was so graphic that one of the first responders said that he thought that the scene was a training exercise due to how horrific it was. Due to eyewitness testimony, including the victims and Stephanie's brother, who had actually seen the men that morning, the police were able to create detailed sketches. The gunman hadn't worn any type of disguise or mask during the shooting, and they were suspected of using a green van-like vehicle as a getaway car. Despite this information, police found no credible leads. 
Ida Holgan would spend six months in the hospital after the shooting and had to, in the words of her husband, relearn everything through physical therapy. A few years later, the massacre would claim yet another life as Stephanie Sinak passed away due to complications from her old injuries. No one has ever been named a suspect. Interestingly, the man didn't even take all of the money from the safe. Some was left behind. This suggested to investigators that robbery wasn't the sole motive here. In addition to this, before shooting everyone, the victims reported the gunmen were rummaging around the room as if they were searching for something. There have been rumors floating around for months that the bowling alley's owner, Ronald Sinak, was in deep debt and had ties to drug cartels. There were also rumors that the alley bartender, who was Ronald's brother, was selling drugs from the bar. There's a lot of speculation on this as it does fill in a lot of the gaps, and the gunman could have been rummaging through the office to look for drugs or drug money. And due to the horrific nature of the crime, police consider there to be some truth to these rumors. They looked into it, but they didn't find anything besides the brother's addiction to cocaine. Even stranger than that is six days after the crime, Ron reopened the bowling alley, saying life is for living. Later that year, he had to sell the bowling alley at an auction because he was completely bankrupt and had over $2 million in debt. Ida claims to have recognized the men from working at the bowling alley and believes that someone knew who these people were. You can see sketches, crime scene photos, and photos of the victims all online if you want to take a look, but I can't really show you that stuff here. To make things even weirder, that morning at 8.15 a.m., Stephanie's brother, Steve, dropped by the bowling alley really quickly because he forgot his backpack on the previous night. He recalled that the doors were unlocked that morning, which was extremely unusual. He said that he mentioned something to Stephanie about it, and when he left, he saw two Hispanic men walking towards the bowling alley, but he didn't really think much about it. So that's where this case leaves us. Police weren't able to pinpoint any real motive for the crime, and no one has any idea who these men were. One of the most interesting bits of information about this case is that the bowling alley was only about 45 minutes from the Mexico border. If the theories about cartel violence are true, it would make sense that these men could have come from Mexico to reclaim a debt, but that doesn't explain why they would have left so much money behind. The fact that no one was spared, even the children, really leads me personally to believe this theory about the cartels. I know there's all sorts of sick and twisted people in the world, but this crime was just over the top and it doesn't make any sense at all. Considering the owner was in $2 million of debt, the idea of this being a debt collection crime continues to kind of gain some weight in my own mind. I know the business was closed for a little while after the crime, but there's no chance that the owner could have racked up that amount of debt in the six days that it was closed and in the few months that the company obviously suffered bad business after this happened because nobody wants to be there after such a terrible crime. But there's no way that in that amount of time, this guy racked up $2 million of debt. There had to have been serious issues going on with this business or with this owner for quite some time before this crime was carried out. But still, even so, the criminals didn't take all of the money. And not only did they not take it, they burned it. It just doesn't add up no matter how you look at it. Either way, I'm totally stumped by this one. Let me know what you guys think. Was this a robbery gone wrong? Or were all of these people targeted to send some sort of message to the owner? If that's the case, the message clearly wasn't received because he opened the bowling alley less than a week later. Let me know what you think. But that's gonna be the video for today, you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to hit that like button. If you loved it, maybe consider sharing, subscribing, or clicking that join button below the video to really help out the channel. Also, don't forget that there is the Knots merch store over on tynots.com where you can get all sorts of cool merchandise. We've got pillows, shirts, masks, 
phone cases, stickers, whatever you want. We've probably got it over there, so be sure to check that out. It really helps support the channel. But I've been Ty Knotts. You guys have been lovely, and I'll catch you in the next video.